uh, but we are going to look at our scripture that can be found in John 5, 16 through 30, which is at the back of the bulletin, or it is on the screen. This is Jesus has healed a person on the Sabbath, uh, and uh, this is the conversation that happens afterwards. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and it is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son also to have life in himself." And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The word of the Lord. Well, New Year's is upon us, and some of you, like Ken, are uh, crafting your New Year's resolutions, a time-old honored tradition. Uh, I've done studies on this subject, and it seems like the same resolutions come up again and again that the majority of America wants to uh, implement. Uh, the statistics are of the respondents 40% of the respondents who are making uh, New Year's resolutions are about improving their diet, 21% pursuing a career ambition, spending more time with family, 18%, taking up a new hobby, uh, 14%, spending less time on social media, 13%. And it goes on and on. Now, the statistics on how many people actually keep their New Year's resolutions throughout the year, that is a topic for another time. But one of the things we have to ask is, why are we making New Year's resolutions? What is it we think that by doing them, they will bring? Possibly, it's that they will bring us a better quality of life. But what does that really mean? What is life? There was a guy named Abram Maslow. He was a psychologist, and he sort of studied this question. He created this hierarchy of needs. And uh, uh, basically, I've, take, I've taken a look at them and put them against the scriptures and what they tell us about the human soul. And really, these are the core desires of the human heart. To be safe, to be known, to be loved, to be esteemed, to become 
whom I am meant to be. And the reality is if we try to find solutions to these deep needs of our human heart on earth, even if we find some measure of them, it will not be enough. See, there's nothing wrong with making New Year's resolutions. But what does become wrong is when good things become ultimate things. In other words, are these New Year's resolutions, are they showing in my heart that my real desire is actually not for God, but for something else? For there's only one that can provide these deep-seated needs of our human heart. It is the life bringer, Jesus Christ, who came from the Father, that we might have life and have it to the full. And so as we see in verse 26, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. If you are looking for life, you will not find it in a better you, but in Jesus Christ. And so we must search for the right place for life in 2024. And that is Jesus. And I want to give you three reasons why Jesus is the life giver. Number one, Jesus is the life giver because he is the son of God. Number two, Jesus is the life giver because he is the judge. And finally, number three, Jesus is the life giver because he is life itself. So let's look at these various aspects of who Jesus is. Number one, he is the life giver because he is the son of God. Notice in verse 16 that the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Jesus had healed this man on the Sabbath. He was working on the Sabbath. And so they were uh, criticizing and lambasting him. But Jesus responded, my father is working until now, and I am working. Jesus' defense of working on the Sabbath, healing and doing these miracles, is that my father is working as well. Now, we know that God the Father works on the Sabbath. Have you ever wondered, did the Hebrews ever go, hey, God is breaking the Sabbath? And their uh, logic of why God was not breaking his Sabbath was that the entire universe is his domain, and therefore he never carries anything outside of it. In other words, in your home, for instance, if you were Jew, you could carry things around, you could do, uh, you know, tasks, and basically, the rabbi said, well, because the universe belongs to God, he never is breaking the Sabbath because it's not work in the way that we do work. And what Jesus is saying, don't miss this, is that the universe is mine too. The stars, the planets, human beings, everything on earth belongs to me just as it does to the Father. That is why I'm not breaking the Sabbath, because everything is mine. Verse 18 tells us that the Jews understood what Jesus was saying. That's why they were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. See, in this miracle in what Jesus is saying, he's revealing the nature of his relationship to the Father. So Jesus says to them in verse 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus is explaining his relationship with the Father, that they are equals, but their relationship is not the same. 
equal with does not mean complete or even partial independence from his father. Notice what he says. He can do nothing of his own accord. The relationship between the father and with the son is not reciprocal in that they can't switch roles. It is God the father who initiates, who sends, who commands, who commissions, who grants. And it's the son who responds and obeys and performs his father's will with the authority given from the father. It's impossible for the son to take independent action that would set him against the father, for he only does what he sees his father doing. And so Jesus' perfect sonship involves perfect identity of will and action with the father. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. But notice what Jesus is saying. He is saying to us that he is as great as the father. For the only one who could conceivably do whatever the father does must be as great as the father, as divine as the father. And it goes on to say, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Jesus is the beloved son of God, and God loves to show him everything that he is doing. He shows him, notice what the word is, all that he is doing. Jesus, through his connection with the father, had the ability to, to see the father's will and how God was acting in the world and to respond. It is the son in acting in accordance with the father's will who is revealing the father. He's narrating the Father, if you will. That's why when Philip said, Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus said, haven't you seen me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And so what is it that the Father has come and has done on planet Earth? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus in his life and death is narrating the will and heart and plan of the Father to give eternal life to his people. I love in John 17, 3, where Jesus defines what eternal life is. To know God and the Father and to be known by him. See, that's our greatest desire, isn't it? To be known by someone intimately and fully and loved at the same time for who we are. And so God executed this plan by giving his son on the cross. Jesus is the one divinely ordained to bring life to the world. There is no other. The Son of God brings life. I don't know if you're familiar, this is a military town with the U.S. Air Force pararescuemen. They're called the PJs. And uh, every now and then we have PJs that come through here. It's 
uh, it's, uh, they never talk about it. They're kind of low key, like a lot of the special force operators. But I really like these guys. I like their mission. This is the mission of the pararescuemen, the PJs. Uh, rescuing and providing medical treatment to injured or stranded personnel in hostile or remote environments, such as behind enemy lines or in the wilderness. Combat search and rescue operations to recover personnel from enemy controlled territory. Their purpose is not to go and fix problems like some of the other special operations. Their goal is to go and find those who are behind enemy territory, those who cannot rescue or save themselves, and to do whatever is necessary to go into harm's way, to reach those and bring them out of death into life. See, Jesus, the Son of God, has been sent from the Father into enemy territory to communicate the heart of God, that you are not forgotten, that I know you and I love you. Jesus is the yes of all of the promises that God has given in the Bible. Jesus is the smile of God, the hand that reaches for us. 1 John 5.11 says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so, my friends, in 2024, this is a reminder to you that life is in the Son. It's not in money. It's not in fame. It's not in six-pack abs. It's not in power or prestige or discipline or provision or blessing. Jesus Christ is enough. Do you have the Son? Then look to the Son for life, for it is in him that you will find the deepest longings of your heart. If you do not have the Son, you do not have life because Jesus is the life giver. This brings me to my second point, that Jesus is the life giver because he is the judge. Look at verse 22. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. Remember one of the things that I said, that one of the fundamental needs of the human heart is to be known, to be loved, and to be esteemed, to be delighted in. We instinctively know that there is someone else out there who pronounces on us blessing or curse because we are not autonomous beings. See, God is the as the Father is the judge of all the earth, but he has determined that it is not his direct task to judge. He has entrusted this judgment to the Son. And so every single person will stand before Christ and give an account for their life. Hebrews 9.27 puts it this way, just as man is destined to die once and after that, to face judgment. Who is that judge that we will come before? It is the Son of God. But it goes on, verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming 
when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Christ is speaking of that last day, that last when all will be resurrected. Notice there's a resurrection of life and judgment. And there'll be this separation of people in this judgment. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. That means those who have believed and trusted and submitted to Jesus Christ rule when they were alive. It seems if you read this passage in isolation from other things, that the basis of resurrection is on our actions, not on belief in Christ. But that is not true. Jesus was very clear on what the work of God is in John 20, John 6, 29, when people came to him and said, uh, and said, what is the work of God? And Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. See, it's not simple good works. I did, there's this scale and I did more good and I did more bad and therefore I am accepted. Rather, it deals with our hearts and who God has made us, right? No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 35, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Jesus did not come into the world to make bad men good. He came into the world to make dead men alive. To change orange trees into apple trees. And apple trees bear apples. It's just an extension of who they are. See, it is on the basis of Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives that transforms our hearts. Our lives are simply outworkings of what is going on and what he's done in our life. And so the future for the believer is a resurrection of life, new bodies, immortality, fellowship with God, true fellowship with one another, the fulfillment of all of our heart's desires. You know, if you are a Christian and live on planet Earth, there should be some measure of dissatisfaction in your life. For right now, we see through a glass darkly, don't we? We don't see Jesus in all of his fullness. Have uninterrupted, intimate fellowship with him like we're designed. Our bodies are fallen. We experience the fallenness of the world around us. But we, more than all people, can look forward with hope and anticipation for we know what is to come, the resurrection of life for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. But there also is a resurrection of evil, a resurrection of judgment for those who have done evil. These are those who refused to follow Christ, who did not trust him. Indeed, on the surface, maybe their lives looked kind of good. But their works were not done out of love for God. Anything that does not come from faith is sin. And so they will, be, they will rise to be judged. 
And Jesus will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Why has the father entrusted judgment to the son? Verse 23 tells us that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. See, God wants his son, the judge, to be honored. I love this verse in Isaiah 42.8 where God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. See, when the father bestows glory on the son, he's not giving his glory to another, is he? Because God is God. And now that the son has come, the person who withholds the honor due to the son similarly dishonors the father. Jesus is the judge because God has honored the son and also because he is the one who is uniquely qualified to judge. Verse 27, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Jesus Christ is fully God, but he's also man. And he was born as a baby and walked in our shoes with the same sort of temptations and difficulties of a fallen body and yet was perfect and fulfilled the father's plan for his life. If there's anyone that has authority to judge you and me, it is him. But we do not have to fear when we stand before the one who died for our sins. I'll give an illustration. When I was in college, I, I was a walk-on. I walked onto the tennis team at the University of Virginia. And I was a pretty good tennis player in college, and I had met with the coach and he invited me to walk on. And so uh, when I got there, however, uh, much to my chagrin, I discovered that that coach had left, and there was a new coach who didn't know anything about me. And so the way that you walked on there was there was a tournament. Whoever won the tournament got a spot on the team. So I played well all the way until the final where I lost. I came in second. But the one who beat me was a fourth year, and I was a first year. And so I went to talk to the coach, hoping not for justice, but for mercy. He was my judge, the one who decided whether I got in or got out. And he did not know me from Adam. But luckily, graciously, he gave me a spot on the team. Now, let me give you a contrast. Jim Beheim, anyone know who that is? He's an he's a, a award-winning, in fact, maybe the winningest coach from Syracuse. Won a national championship, unbelievable, over a thousand years, head coach of Syracuse basketball, just graduated, uh, graduated, retired, excuse me. But before he retired, he had the honor of having his sons, Buddy and Jimmy, playing for him. And those guys could play, by the way. But I want to talk a little bit about Buddy uh, Bo Beheim. You know, as Buddy was growing up, uh, you know, in high school, you know, the question came, well, where was he going to play? And he got offers from Gonzaga. He got offers from Penn State, some places. 
and there are only a certain number of spots on the Syracuse basketball team. So the question was, would he make the team? And my answer is, what do you think? It's Jim Beheim who has the final say, right? Who decides to get on the team and who does not get on the team? And Jim Beheim said, my son, Buddy, is fit to be on this team. Of course he was fit to be on the team. Why? Well, because Jim Beheim had trained him from a young age. It was uh, Jim Beheim's genetics in Buddy Beheim. His training, his instruction, everything Jim Beheim is, is because of his father. And so when it was time for Jim Beheim to judge whether or not Buddy Beheim was going to be on the team, it was a no-brainer. That's the kind of judge I want. Not the one as a walk-on at UVA, but the one who is my father. See, the father sent Jesus Christ like a PJ to find you and rescue you if you are his. So when you stand before him through his son, Jesus Christ, you would receive not condemnation, but blessing and honor. So we must recognize in 2024 that in the end, we are accountable to one person and one person only. There's lots of opinions of us, of, of people important to us, and they matter. But in the end, there is only ones that matter. The one who holds the judgment of life and death. His opinion is the only one that matters. But praise God, Jesus' judgment is just because he is merciful and kind. And he paid our penalty with his own blood and gave us his righteous record of his own free will. See, the one who stands to judge me is the one who gave his life for me. The one who delights in me and rejoices over me with singing. The one, along with the Father, that says, this is my beloved Son, you, who I am well pleased with. There are many courtrooms and many judges in 2024. Whose courtroom are you going to walk in? That of the world or that of Christ? Entrust yourself to Jesus Christ because he is the judge. This brings me to my final point, that Jesus is the life giver because he is life itself. Verse 26, for as the father has life in himself, he has granted the son also to have life in himself. See, the father is life. And before there was anything, there was God. God is the cause of everything that has life. For Isaiah 42, 5 says, This is what God the Lord says, He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. This God has granted the Son to have life in himself. Now you need to understand that this is not something that was granted 
in time at a specific point, but has always been. For the Son is life. Listen to John 1.3. All things were made through Christ, and without Christ was not anything made that was made. In Christ was life, and that life was the light of man. See, everything that God has brought to life in the universe from beginning to end is through his son, Jesus Christ. If Jesus was the first one that was made by God, that would be impossible. Because you can't make yourself, right? So all that you see around you comes from Jesus Christ. Jesus has been granted life from eternity. And it is this eternal impartation of life in himself to the Son that grounds his authority and power to call the dead to life by his powerful word. God has granted the Son the authority to bring life to spiritually dead people. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. See, it's those who hear and believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And notice what it says, that not he will have eternal life, that he has eternal life, that he has passed from death to life. It's something that has already happened in the life of the believer. I remember it when I was age 18, and I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the light came on, and the presence of God came into my life. You may have experienced that or not experienced it, but if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you know it to be true, don't you? The hour is coming, notice what it says. And is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. The hour is coming for the future resurrection, but the hour is now to be woken up and resurrected in our hearts. And what is it that wakes us up? It's the voice of the Son of God, his gospel, that has the power to bring life. Are you looking for life? Life is now here in him, for it is those who hear who will live. And how do we hear? We listen and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And it's Jesus who gives us a new heart, who awakens us, who brings love into our life and gives us the ability to love God and to genuinely love one another. And what the world needs desperately is people who have come alive. I don't know if you remember Juan Ponce de Leon, the conquistador, who was a Spanish explorer. He was known for leading the first official European expedition to Florida and serving as the first governor of Puerto Rico. 
Clonqui, uh, uh, Ponce de Leon set off on this quest in 1513 to discover the fountain of youth. It was this fabled fountain that was spoken of by the Native Americans that had the ability to restore youth and vigor and vitality. And so they tramped around Florida for years and years. Can you imagine what the Everglades looked like back then? And you know what? He never found it. And the reason he never found it is because it doesn't exist. For there's only one place that you can find life. And that place is a person, Jesus Christ. He is the life giver because he is the son of God. He is the judge and he is life itself. So in 2024, make your decision Lose weight, start running, read a book. Those are all great things. But don't substitute anything for the life giver. Seek him and you will find him. For he has come that you might have life and have it to the full. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus Christ our life, our way, and our truth. Jesus, you are the smile of your Father and the yes of all of his promises. And we resolve by your grace this year to seek to find life in nothing else but you. Fill us with your love. Show us your heart for us and the wonder of what you have done and what you have planned for all of us who love you. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.